Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach based in Kansas City who just loves to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. Be warned, you should be 18 and over and probably be listening with your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. My guest on the show today is actually someone that I've known for a long time. Emily is a wife, mom, educator, and a listener of the show. She approached me about sharing her story on Keep Them Coming. She and her husband actually lost their daughter this year, and she wanted to come on and talk about her experience as a bereaved parent. So as a content warning, just know what you're getting into with this episode. And, and yes, we talk about some heavy stuff, um, some things that, that are sad that are heartbreaking but we also discussed a lot about healing and her journey moving forward we talked also about emotional intelligence and uh, her woke husband um, empowering people around childbirth fertility issues and we even got into talking about some humanist principles so you know it's it's not just all all the heavy stuff it's not all just the sad things um I think that there was just a lot of beauty in her story. I hope for anyone out there who's had an experience with losing a child that you can hear her story and either feel feel some connection to it, feel some resonance with it, or, or find some hope in it. I appreciate you listening. You reached out to mm-hmm. me because you mm-hmm. felt like there were some things that you just wanted mm-hmm. to share, something mm-hmm. that you wanted to get out there, um, that yeah. you've done some writing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of a different platform. So. Yeah. Well, I, I like podcasts a lot. Mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm not if I'm not in the car with my daughter listening to music, then I am probably, like, when I'm cleaning, I have a podcast on. I'm, I'm a total podcast junkie. So, uh, so I started listening to yours, and I... I'm getting educated in a lot of ways listening to your podcast because well, there's you. there's a lot of stuff that I I didn't really know, you know, and so I'm I'm listening to it and um then I just started thinking one day when I was listening to it. Uh I, I listened to your mini your mini cast on um sexual health being a part of self care. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that made me jump to Hey, this stuff is really interesting. I wonder if she would ever talk to like a bereaved parent about that with relationships and stuff. And so, that's sort of that's sort of the impetus of mm-hmm. leading you to reach out to uh-huh. me. So for sure, uh, well, for I'm, sure. I'm glad that you did reach out to me and ask if this was a topic that I would like to have mm-hmm. on my show because I want to have a really wide variety of voices and conversations and and topics on the show. Um, and since I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to talk about what it is like for couples after they've lost a child. What does that relationship look like? Mm-hmm. What does their sexuality look like? Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that you were willing to come on and talk yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think it's important. Um, I know that shortly after our daughter passed, um, I got really, really, really afraid that we would get divorced mm-hmm. because because everybody tells you. Like that's like, you're, you're at risk now to get divorced, you know? And, and so I actually Googled probably 
know, maybe like four months after Casey died, I found myself like for several days just Googling again and again, am I going to divorce my husband now that, now that our daughter has died? And what I found was um, that's kind of a myth. Like just because your child dies does not mean that you're at an increased risk to get mm-hmm. divorced. Uh, but what matters is how you communicate moving forward. So if you feel mm-hmm. something, you really have to be willing to share that with your partner. And you can't share it out of resentment. Like, you can't just scream something at them trying to hurt them because you're so angry. I mean, your child died, so mm-hmm. you're you're pissed. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that, yeah. Is, yeah. that is horrible. Um, well, and your situation was kind of unique because it wasn't that you had a healthy child and then something mm-hmm. happened you you knew because mm-hmm. through the course of your pregnancy you found out that mm-hmm. Casey had a condition mm-hmm. that she probably wasn't going to survive mm-hmm. yeah yeah so you were going into this knowing that you were carrying a child to term that you may mm-hmm. you may not make it to term mm-hmm. and even if you did you probably wouldn't have her around for very long so yeah. you you kind of had this ramp up to knowing mm-hmm. you were going to lose your your child for for you it sounds like mm-hmm. um you did share it sounded like your husband's journey was a little bit different oh, going yeah. through that. And yeah. then, so then there's there's some of that, too, of, like, are you on the same page? Like, the story that you shared with me when you reached out, it's so nuanced and so complicated, but mm-hmm. really beautiful. So I'm yeah. just happy that you're willing to share it. But what I'm curious about is, you know, obviously kind of from the relationship aspect. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking, like, when you found out, that there was something wrong with Casey. Like, what? What was? What was the effect on your relationship? Um. I don't. Or did it change it? You know, I. I think we sort of. We were both in such shock. I was twenty five weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so. Well, okay. So the moment that I that we found out, um, I, I got a call. And, and they had said, um, they had said, um, that the baby was small and that there was, there was something else that they had seen, uh, and that they wanted to take another look in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And at that point we didn't know if we were having a girl. I, I had said I wanted it to be a surprise. Um, and so Matt and I went for this level two ultrasound. And in the ultrasound, the whole time, this the sonographer is saying, your baby is perfect, this looks perfect, so we're feeling really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she got to her heart, and she was like, I just can't quite get the image. And I said, is something wrong with her heart? And she goes, no, 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 everything looks perfect. And then she said, I'm going to go get the doctor and share these images, I've got what I need. And I looked at Matt, and I was like, she saw something. Like, this is not good, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when the doctor comes in, they start explaining to us this heart defect that they thought they'd seen that Matt and I are like, oh my gosh, like our baby's going to die. She didn't have that heart defect. So it was such a roller coaster. But initially, as that doctor is explaining what she thought she saw, and she's referring us to Children's Mercy for a fetal echocardiogram, which is, it's such a long, drawn-out process to have a fetal echocardiogram. Um, So we are... In that moment, she said, "Very." She said, "We need to take another look. We need to get a, a clearer picture of the baby's heart. Um, we also probably need to check for for a chromosomal anomaly." Mm-hmm. Um, and and you should know that as these tests come out, you guys you guys have options. And my immediate thing was, "No, we don't. 
Like it just, there was no thought, there was nothing. And Matt said, wait, 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 we need to talk about this. And so at first I got kind of angry with him because I'm like, this is not up to you. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, I learned something about my husband that that is just so important because I was, I was kind of thinking only of me and I can't do this. I, I can't make that decision. I can't do that, which is not... 10 years ago, how I would have seen that playing out at all. If somebody would have said, you're going to be faced with this, I would have thought totally different about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt said, if this baby lives, will she suffer? Mm-hmm. And right then, I mean, it was like the world stopped. Like waiting for that doctor to answer that question, it was maybe a half second wait. But for me, I and, and I'm looking at my husband and it was like the world stopped and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is a father. This is a father because he, because if she says, yes, mm-hmm. this is going to be horrible for your baby if she lives, then I have a whole day. Di- I mean, it was just, it was so intense. So, mm-hmm. so with him, um, I guess to answer your question in the longest way possible, <laughs> we, uh, it didn't change our relationship so much as it changed for me a different strength I saw in him like I like I really realized what kind of a father he was in that moment because he was willing to look beyond what I felt was the easier decision like I got to keep her I didn't have to I didn't have to say goodbye right then you know Mm -hmm. I I got Mm -hmm. to say no I'm going to give this every possible chance that I can give this and he's like wait 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 what's going to happen to the baby yeah and so, does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you so. just you got a different perspective on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. That was such a long answer. <laughs> That's okay. It's a long form podcast. We'll just talk. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> well, you've been together a really long time. Yeah. Um, we started seeing each other unofficially because we both like had other people um, when we were in high school, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, we had a very long, tumultuous courtship, um, and then we got married when we were 30, so, but our 20s, we spent a lot of time breaking up and getting back together, and every time we got in a fight, we broke up, because we didn't really know how to, you know, resolve conflict in a healthy way for such a long time. Mm-hmm. So then, obviously, you feel like you learned some lessons through that process that brought you to the point where you could figure things out, and mm-hmm. then, I mean... Gosh, to go through something like, like this, obviously your communication has changed. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So and that was something that you, you brought up was how you've had to really talk through this. Mm-hmm. So what differences in your, your communication patterns did you see, like how you maybe used to handle things versus how you handle things now that you think helped you get through losing a child together? Um, you know, I that's, that's a really good question. I um I don't know that I can pinpoint what the change really is. I just know that I I don't threaten divorce. Like I like I was a big before everything really happened. Um my my go-to move was well I'll just leave. And I really realized like that's not fair to him. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not going to just leave. That's, that's not okay. So that was a big thing for me that I really learned is no, we're in this together. Like we've, we've stood by each other. So 
And and on the flip side, like his go-to, he sometimes would kind of push me when we were fighting to get me to say that. So then he could say, I think. He'd probably deny that. But I think, you know, when you're with somebody for a long time, you know how to push one another's buttons. Yeah. (laughs) And how to get the blow up to happen so that you can move forward, I guess, in some ways, you know, I think that Mm -hmm. that, I think that that happens, but I don't know that I can pinpoint, I guess I'm less afraid to just say it, but I also know that I have to say what I need to say in the most loving, non-confrontational way. Like I can't say the things that are difficult to say unless the intention is, forward movement Mm -hmm. like it can't be I'm going to say this because I'm hurting and I'm angry right now and I want you to feel the same way yeah like I want to lash out and hurt you too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that was a big thing when I was pregnant with Casey like I was so angry he was not I mean Matt was well he never believed that she would actually die Mm -hmm. he he thought the doctors would be wrong um and he he just kept saying everybody has their thing. Everybody has their thing, Emily. Everybody's life is hard. Nobody has a perfect conflict-free life. And and as much as this sucks, as hard as this is, you and I are very in love. We're very happy. We have a very special, beautiful little girl that is living. We are going to have more kids. That was always his thing. We are going to have more kids. Yes, this is going to be really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking away from what could be with her. But who would you wish this on? That was a big one that he kept saying. Who would you wish this on? Who would you want to go through this instead of us? Because everybody has their thing. And, and so that would always kind of bring me out. He really, he really showed me how much more level-headed he is than I am because I wanted to be angry and lash out. And yeah, I think a lot of women out there are probably listening to this going like, dang, I need my husband to look <laughs> like that. So how'd you yeah. get, how'd you get such a loving, communicative husband? But you know, like they all have their journeys too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he started off life like that. So no. <laughs> well, did you see that Brene Brown mm-hmm. has been a nice influence for you? And that yeah. he actually listens to her, reads it too? He does. He does read Brene Brown. Uh, he won't listen to her with me. I listen more because I, I like, I love to read. Mm-hmm. But when I want to really absorb something um, and learn from it, I think that I just do better with with that auditory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listen to her more. I watch like I've watched her TED talks five hundred million times. Mm-hmm. She's got like five hundred million views, and I'm sure I'm four hundred million of them. <laughs> like it is, it is a lot. Um, but he, he's reading Braving the Wilderness right now. He's mm. read Daring Greatly. Um, he read another one, but I can't remember. It's Rising Strong and Power of Vulnerability. I think it was the Power of Vulnerability one that we have. I have one about that I don't think he's read and that I haven't gotten all the way through, but it is about, um, it's like one of the first books that she ever wrote, and it's like, being kind to yourself and letting go of being a perfectionist, Mm -hmm. which I would have never defined myself as a perfectionist before having a child. Mm -hmm. And now that I have a child, I'm like, oh, I am definitely a (laughs) controlling perfectionist. Like this is not, this is not a positive, positive quality. (laughs) It's, it's not so much that it's not a positive quality, just the way it manifests. Mm -hmm. And, And so many people think it manifests in just the, 
oh, when you're doing something, maybe you get like kind of sharp with people or because it's not done your way, but it also can lead to a lot of procrastination. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that the reason people often procrastinate is because mm-hmm. if they don't think that they're going to succeed mm-hmm. or do it right or be perfect at it, then it's not worth doing at mm-hmm. all. It's not worth even trying or starting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was the one thing about perfectionism I had to learn is that yeah. it affected me and made me a procrastinator. That's good. I, I, I did not know that. And I think that that could explain a lot. Yeah. Because I, Matt always, he is so good at organizing his time and, and managing what he's going to do and how he's going to get things done. And he tells me all the time, you know, I was most organized in high school, <laughs> but senior, you know, <laughs> the senior superlative. He's, he's he still hanging on to that. Oh my God. Yeah. He got most organized. I'm sure he got something else that's way more cool. I don't know what it is. Like maybe best friends or something with somebody, but mm-hmm. but he definitely he taught all the time. I was most organized. Really hanging on to that one, aren't you, bud? <laughs> we all have our thing. Yeah, yeah. I definitely was never I've never been the most organized at anything ever. So Same. yeah, that's not that's not my jam. Um but but yeah, he's He's into into Brene Brown. He will read her work. Um, he he's pretty good about any time I ask him to do anything that is going to make us a little bit more emotionally intelligent. He'll he'll jump on board. So that's good. That's good. There's you know I I'm I'm not trying to make gross generalizations about men. But there's there's a lot of men that struggle mm-hmm. with even opening up to the idea that they need to improve their emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. and I I don't blame them necessarily. I I think that our society raised them to think that they don't need them mm-hmm. or that they need to repress them. Um, that that showing that those authentic emotions can get them in trouble, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. or make them look weak and things like that. So I think a lot of it's just simply fighting the socialization mm-hmm. uh, that you can. Be a man, express your emotions, express them appropriately, but express the whole gambit. Mm-hmm. You know, not just, oh, really? <laughs> That's the problem of trying to figure out where I was at in my thought about men and emotional intelligence. That toxic masculinity that is. Yeah. Just rampant. Toxic masculinity is rampant, <laughs> yes. And that, that, I, you're right, that basically pinpoints the reason why a lot of men in our society are mm-hmm. not. Willing to, to improve their emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt's dad was, he has a very strong sister with a very strong feminine personality mm-hmm. um, as far as like female empowerment and very pro-woman. Um, and his mom, his mom, uh, Matt's grandma, she was passed away in May. Uh, she was 96. She was a trailblazer. Like... She was very accepting of people. She, she was definitely before her time in, in a lot of in a lot of ways. Uh, and she she just she had a, a really big influence on him. His dad had a really big influence on him. I don't know. I don't know that Matt ever. He just always thought different than than a lot of people, and he had a lot of of influence. You know, just with. With not being a jerk, I guess. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so he's he's really uh, 
he's he's good with with his emotional intelligence. Now, I I feel like if I were to say to him, yeah, I talked a lot about how emotionally intelligent you are and how willing you are, he'd probably be like, what does that even mean? Because yeah. he doesn't. He he's well, not you're, out you're seeking. a teacher too. Yeah. So part of it is like, and Brene Brown does talk <clears throat> about that, but. Yeah, that is a term that a lot of people don't aren't familiar with. But you know, for those listeners out there that might not mm-hmm. be familiar with it, I mean, it's it's literally just what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It is about how how in tune are you with mm-hmm. your emotions? How how well are you conveying those emotions? Because mm-hmm. we do actually have trouble mm-hmm. identifying what it is we're actually feeling in the moment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think we're feeling, you know, anger, and really it's that we're feeling frustrated and we're feeling sad mm-hmm. or we're feeling disappointed mm-hmm. and that's all welling up into mm-hmm. what comes up as coming across as anger, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, well, because really anger is a secondary emotion. Yeah. Um, and I never knew that, but but when I was working, um, I was working at a school locally uh, called Sherwood Center. It's It was for kids with um, autism or other developmental disabilities that, that hindered their ability to be successful in the public school setting. I was there for like four years before I transitioned in the public school. Mm-hmm. And we would have to do training to figure out how to deal with with students when they would get violent, and mm-hmm. one of one of the things that our training said over and over again is anger is a secondary emotion. Like you always have to dig further, because because it's going to come out as anger, but it could be fear, it could be um, that they're that they're hurt. Maybe they got their feelings hurt, and now they're going to be angry. So for me, I think that the anger that I felt with Casey was definitely because I was so scared. Mm-hmm. I mean, just and. And I felt really hurt because I felt, I was, I was certain, and sometimes I still think this, and this is where that whole toxic perfectionism thing comes into too, is I feel like if I was a better mother, would my daughter have lived? And that's, that's, if I was a better wife, would my daughter have lived? Like I keep trying to take ownership of, of that. And so to have a pretty emotionally intelligent husband who can say, listen, this is just our thing. This is, this is just our thing. We had to go through this. Um, like, that's that's pretty powerful. When I want to be angry and I want to be really mad and I want to lash out and, you know, just not be my best version of best me. Best version of you, yeah. Uh, it, it, is, it is something to have somebody who is so capable of sort of grounding grounding me. That's That's been a big thing that has been revealed through that loss. Wow. That's really beautiful, actually. <laughs> so, after losing Casey, obviously that's an entire journey mm-hmm. on its own. You mm-hmm. know, you'd, you'd had things to deal with up to that point, but, you know, the reality of it setting in is, and then dealing with the aftermath of that, it's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. And you seem like you really have, I mean, how long has it been since Casey's been gone? Um, almost eight months. Almost eight months, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not... Not to compare, it's not about mm-hmm. that, but like I'm sitting here across from you and I, I see your face and it's it's not that there's not to say, like it's not like I'm looking at you going like, oh well you don't seem like a bereaved mother. There's it's not that. But mm-hmm. I can see and, and even, you know, on social media I see like you you've given yourself permission to mm-hmm. get out there again and to live your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kinda curious what what that process was like and how, how you kind of got to that place where you were, you are where you are. Um, it's a really, really good question. Um, I knew, 
And and so one thing that I said a lot is Casey's diagnosis blindsided me, but her death did not. Mm-hmm. So so I had 15 weeks of still carrying this little girl, not knowing. I mean, I would wake up every morning and just hold still and wait for her to move. Um, and and I always would think to myself, like, what are you going to do if she doesn't move? Mm-hmm. You know, but she always did. And so so I had 15 weeks to really process and prepare and and accept that okay, this, this is our journey now. And at any point, her life is going to end. I may not meet her alive. Um, but I prayed very heavily that I would meet her alive, and I prayed very heavily that I would bring her home. Like, those were the two things. It was like, God, <laughs> after everything, if you can just grant me that. Mm-hmm. Like, like little girl, if you can just fight, if you can just hang on, and if we can just have that. Um, and, and, and we got that. And so I knew long before she died, that once she died, I was going to have to feel it. Like, there was going to be no getting pregnant immediately after. Not that that doesn't work. For some people, that is necessary to their healing. Mm -hmm. For me, I felt like trying to get pregnant again immediately after my daughter died, I would be putting expectations on a new child, if I was blessed enough to even have another child, to heal something that that nothing is ever going to heal. Mm -hmm. So I had to really dive in and and experience the loss and experience the pain um, and really embrace the fact that, okay, the rest of my life, I am, I am a bereaved mother. This is, this is what it looks like. My husband is a bereaved father. Langston is a bereaved sister. She does not understand. She will see pictures of her little sister and say, that's my baby sister, which is always like, a punch in the gut and a kiss on the cheek at the same time mm-hmm. because it's sweet, but yeah. it's so painful. Um, so I, I, I dove in, I, I embraced that. And then once, once I got to a place where I really felt, <clears throat> sorry, I really felt like, um, okay, I can, I can put this in its place. I can then, then I just, I, I don't know. I wish that I could say, exactly what that moment looked like. I guess there was a moment in, in January, which wasn't long after Casey died at all, um, that I was really struck at, we were outside, it was a beautiful day, and it was like this dark cloud, but then it was also this really joyful memory for Langston, and I think, I mean, I know she's not going to remember it, but for us to make that with her, it just felt like you have to be able to experience these moments too. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to allow yourself to be present in the moment and happy because whether I'm happy or not doesn't change the fact that I'm a bereaved mother. Like I already have to suffer enough not having my daughter. I can't force myself to suffer further by being miserable about, uh, miserable about it all the time. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, Give yourself permission to experience joy again. Mm-hmm. And when you made that comment on the phone we were talking about, like that just really struck me that you you weren't negating anything that you had by moving forward. You mm-hmm. weren't forgetting that mm-hmm. experience or your daughter by moving on. And it's not about moving on. It's just about moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's why I keep mm-hmm. trying to go back to it. Yeah. So. Well, and it's not, it's not fair to my husband. It's not fair to Langston. It's not fair to the people in my family. Like there are people around who love us, who, who loved Casey, 
who have their their own grief. And so for me to not be willing to feel like a lot of people are watching me for mm-hmm. for what what what's next and <clears throat> and there's a little bit of pressure in that way because people want who love Matt and I want to see me specifically because everybody's very worried about him too like they they were very worried about him too um and he had a very profound loss as well but when you are the woman and you are carrying the child and you are going through, like Matt, if he was here, he would tell you himself, I just want to make her okay. I just want to make sure she's okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, my daughter died too, but if I have any more kids, I'm not going to be the one that has to go through a pregnancy. I didn't have to go through, you know, I mean, when I was delivering Casey, I still didn't know if she was going to be born alive or not. Mm-hmm. And so that in itself was a very intense experience. Um, and I was told that if she was born alive, she wouldn't cry. So for her to be born and for her to be crying when she was born, that was really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like there are a lot of eyes, a lot of eyes waiting kind of for the cue of what's okay. And maybe, maybe not. Maybe like that almost makes me sound a little bit self-absorbed. I don't know. <laughs> I'm always worried about sounding too... No, but I, I know what you mean, that it's, if you're able to relax and breathe, people mm-hmm. around you are able mm-hmm. to relax and breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand what you mean about, I'm sure people were looking to you afterwards to see how they should react. And and we all move about the universe showing people how they mm-hmm. should treat us. Mm-hmm. You know, our if we're sad, we're showing people that they need to, you know, be gentle mm-hmm. with us. Yep. <clears throat> we're excited we're showing people that they can be excited they can experience the joy of the moment too so mm-hmm. no that's understandable i don't think that i don't think that's being self-absorbed <laughs> at all <laughs> they're just yeah. they're just trying to read your energy and respond mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. yeah so. yeah for sure so that that's sort of i guess where that permission for joy came about too because i also i also really felt like you know for langston her little sister's whole life was nothing but a big party for her. I mean, she had my whole family and Matt's family and every single person that she loved in the world was constantly around for three days. It was nonstop. Like we were all together all the time. And like my parents got divorced when I was three years old. Mm -hmm. So there aren't many moments in my life where we were all together all the time. Um, I feel like when Langston was born, that healing started and, and people, you know, started to embrace one another a little bit more. And then when Casey died, it was like the cement to, to that, like, um, sort of like when you take marriage vows for, for better, Mm -hmm. for worse, like Mm -hmm. the, for better is really, really important, but the, the, for worse, like is also to me a really important part of those vows because there were moments where I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if Matt and I would, would make it because the, the pain is so overwhelming and I'm a fight or flight kind of gal. So my initial thing is always to run. I can't handle this. I'm going to get away. Like I've, I've got to get out of here. Um, and I, and, and, 
didn't know if I was going to do that again or not, to be honest with you. I was really, that's why I'm like Googling, am I going to get divorced now? Because yeah. it seemed like too much. Yeah. Well, you mentioned feeling kind of alone mm-hmm. in some, some of those moments. And when we feel alone, it gives our mind all sorts of permission to just think mm-hmm. crazy things or mm-hmm. think about the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Someone said that to me recently, that we as humans are so willing to think about what's the worst case scenario that's going to come out of this, but we very rarely give, our, give ourselves permission to think about what's the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. How, is, how is this going to be the best possible outcome for me? Because we're so wired or conditioned, we would rather be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which, man, so that kind of makes me think how fascinating it is that that my husband refused to go to the worst case scenario with our daughter. Refused. It was, no, Emily, I'm telling you, this is my kid. She's going to be a fighter. She's going to be really strong. The doctors are wrong. Maybe she'll have this heart issue. We might have to get through a heart surgery, but our daughter is not going to die. I mean, he would, and then he would say, what does your gut tell you? And, and he said lots of times, you know, you know what's going to happen. Your gut is telling you what's going to happen. And I, and I just, I could never say. Because you didn't think that way, sounds like. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, I would actually get really frustrated because people would say, well, sometimes miracles do happen and, and you just never know. And I would be like, no, I, I know. Mm-hmm. Specialists and experts have told me. So you need to not discount those conversations and make me feel like I'm giving up hope on my child. Like, I know this is how this is going to be. And mm-hmm. so, so I, would, I never got really frustrated with Matt, but I would get frustrated with other people. <clears throat> it's one thing if your partner is, mm-hmm. is holding out hope, but strangers that have not been there for the conversations, mm-hmm. they've not been there for the doctor's mm-hmm. visits, they've not been there for those tough moments where you're doing your own research and you're seeing mm-hmm. what that specialist told you in a research article or things like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, I can, I can see how you, you, gave, you gave him some grace on that. Mm-hmm. And, and plus that's just that, that want, that need of like mm-hmm. really wanting to feel it. And, and really, I mean, at the end of the day, he was right. She was a fighter. Mm-hmm. She made it. She did. She came out crying. And they said that she wasn't going to be that way. So yeah. in many regards, he was right that she survived, mm-hmm. at least for you to, to have her in mm-hmm. your life and to experience her, you know, first breath. Yeah. Even if it wasn't, she wasn't around for very long. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe no, you're both right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little. Well, I also, I mean, I think I mentioned before too, like I definitely, I definitely believe in God. I also don't believe that people should be pushing stuff on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel part of why I am moderately functional <laughs> still <laughs> um, is because like, I believe wholeheartedly that God has been preparing my heart for Casey since I was five years old because I, I was five the first time I ever heard of a woman carrying a baby to term. And 
And I remember being fascinated by that, and I didn't even understand that. And then I was, you know, in my 20s, I was so adamant that I was not going to have children for a while. And I kept saying, I'm not going to have children because it's not going to be an easy road for me. And, and I, I can't handle, yeah, I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to do this. I don't, and it was like there was a part of me that just knew that, that this phase of my life, if I got to it, was, was going to be a real yeah. son of a bitch. Because <laughs> even though you have one healthy daughter and you've talked about Casey, you had some miscarriages, right? I've had one. One. I've had one that I know of, like one mm-hmm. that's been confirmed. I've had other times where I'm like, this seems off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, I mean... And that's how it is as a woman. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just don't. Sometimes we don't know we actually had mm-hmm. a miscarriage because we were only a week or two or so yeah. long. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I myself have had issues. I um, had a miscarriage in 2009 at about six and a half or seven mm-hmm. weeks um, and tried to get pregnant again in my second marriage and just didn't. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've had a couple miscarriages mm-hmm. along the way. Just again, you say like you just notice some differences in your body and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you get your period and then, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's different. Mm-hmm. It so, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, sorry. I mean, I, I kind of always knew that I was going to have issues because my mother had issues. She, I was a surprise. Oh, nice. <laughs> and then she had two ectopic pregnancies and a miscarriage. Oh. She had an ectopic that almost killed her and then a miscarriage mm-hmm. and then another ectopic. And by that point, she had no fallopian tubes so she mm-hmm. had a hysterectomy at 37 um, my aunt had trouble getting pregnant she never got pregnant um, and then my other one had trouble and once she finally conceived she had two right away but um, yeah I kind of always knew my road was not going to be easy either mm-hmm. and it's kind of a strange place to be in because mm-hmm. also for women's fertility and, and women's issues like there's a lot of diagnoses out there that are just because they've ruled other things out mm-hmm. like endometriosis yeah so many women don't really have confirmation there's nothing that you can do to really you have to have surgery yeah you have the surgery to, to confirm it so you they basically are just telling you like oh based on your symptoms this mm-hmm. is what you have or mm-hmm. fibroids or cysts yeah they mm-hmm. can find cysts on your um uh, ultrasounds things like that but there's so many women's issues especially our fertility that they don't test us for unless right. we can prove we've got an issue right or do we really want to have surgery to prove that we've got something wrong with us? I just, right. Uh, yeah. Well, and then they tell you, like, when you once you have that surgery, you might have to have it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm not... Because that was always my thing, too. I, I, I had been unofficially diagnosed mm-hmm. with endometriosis. Um, you know, because when you're that time of the month and you're passing out in the bathroom from pain and, and vomiting and all of that. Mm-hmm. Like that's not normal. No, it's not. <laughs> and so there was a study that came out this year that showed that period pain can often be on par with a heart attack. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. So I, I do now I will say I do credit um my years of struggle uh to the reason that that I can be a straight up champion during childbirth. <laughs> I am. Uh, I I I have to say I do think that that is, that that is what I'm. I'm really proud of that. I try not to be too braggy about it, you know, because I I believe that when a woman is giving birth, she needs to do that in the least traumatic way possible. So mm-hmm. if that means you need to schedule your C-section, girlfriend, get out your handbook or your 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 plan calendar and do yeah. it. Yeah, you know, if you if you need all of the drugs take them all. Um, 
if you're like me and you're kind of a control freak and you need to be in charge in that room um, and you are more terrified of a catheter than you are a tear in your business, mm-hmm. then uh, then grit your teeth and, and do what you got to do. But it should be the least traumatic experience possible. And and both of mine were, were not very traumatic at all. I was definitely in the driver's seat in, in the nice. room. Yeah, it was... It was it that, that I'm really proud of that. So, but I, I don't know that I would have had that level of tolerance to get through that if I didn't spend years passing out in the bathroom from just yeah. a, a normal. <laughs> I've done that too. I really mm-hmm. have. It's uh, gentlemen that are listening because I know I have gentlemen listeners. <laughs> For real, sometimes we think we're having a heart attack in our guts. Like it mm-hmm. hurts that bad. It's mm-hmm. fucking awful. Yeah, it is. Days missed from school, days missed from work. Mm-hmm. And then people who don't experience, like, I remember one time I had a boss that was like, Emily, it's a period for God's sakes. And I was like, whoa, bitch. <laughs> whoa. You have no idea. I was a teller at a bank um, on the plaza, and I passed out on the teller line from that. And people were like, are you on drugs? No. No. I'm on my monthly. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm on. Hopefully we're out there spreading some awareness about period pain because this shit's for real. Mm-hmm. It's no joke. And and again, we, we're we in this position where we're being told like, well, you probably have this condition, endometriosis mm-hmm. again, for those of you out there that are listening. Um, there's just no way to really prove that you got it and you just have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And Unless I cut you open with three incisions around your belly button and take some lasers and mm-hmm. do an exploratory... Yeah, that sounds like a solid Friday Absolutely. afternoon. Oh, and insurance totally loves when you're just like, let's just root around in there and yeah. see if you've got something. Yeah. No, yeah. they they don't like paying for things like that. No, so, not at all. No, yeah. so I I actually used to keep a bottle of Vicodin around mm-hmm. for the days that I would have it. Mm-hmm. I had one in my purse at all times because you don't know when it's mm-hmm. coming unless mm-hmm. you're on something. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, yes, because that's the other thing. Like, unless you're on some kind of... Hormonal birth control. Yeah. You have no idea. Like, like I, yeah. I mean, I would go... I used to think I was pregnant all the time because I would go, like, seven months. And then it would be... Wham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was... The things we go through as women. Yes. And the mm-hmm. things that people tell us we should be doing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and there's a lot of... Not to get into the you know political arena, but there's a lot of people telling us what we should be doing with our bodies mm-hmm. these days. Right. Yeah, I you know. I also credit to. When it comes to medical stuff, I can be sort of a strong presence, um, in the room. I mean, th- there's a reason that I choose midwives. Um, I had had, the same OB, for like ten years. Um, and I had my miscarriage and I didn't feel like I was being heard. It was a very rare type of miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And I had done a lot of my own research. I had educated myself. Um, I, I have a, a relative, um, my uncle actually, whose birthday is the same day as Casey's. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an OBGYN for years. Then he was a gynecological surgeon for a long time. He just recently retired. Um, I will ask that man anything when it comes to that stuff because he is an expert on expert on expert and my aunt his wife um who's actually my mom's sister because he's he's my uncle because he's married to my mom's sister um I talk to her about everything all I mean I will ask her anything they are they are such an important support 
for us. Um, and I felt like my doctor, you know, she just wasn't hearing me. Like I, I was asking some pretty important questions and I wasn't being heard. And then when I got pregnant with Langston, um, she kept, she wouldn't listen to me when I was like, well, I'm taking Bradley classes and I want to do this in the delivery room and I want to try this in the delivery room. And she was like, no, once your water breaks, you're not getting out of that bed. And I was like, well, what if my water doesn't break? Which by the way, my water didn't break for either girl. Oh. Both girls were born in like in call. Wow. Um, super rare. Uh-huh. Um, probably super rare because not many people say you're not breaking my water. You know, I'm sure there are health reasons too. And, and, and there's a very small percentage that make a lot of those practices, you know, necessary for that very small percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I switched providers at 33 weeks pregnant with Langston. Oh, wow. I was like, you know, I, I left an appointment. Um, I went to Bradley class and, and my Bradley instructor said, um, you know, Emily, if you are healthy and your baby is healthy, that you should never leave a doctor's appointment crying. Like, this is not a good sign. And so mm-hmm. that was a real moment for me of, okay, no, I'm taking charge because now it's not just about me. It is about this, this baby that, that is still healthy. And, you know, and I, and I wanted to control something in my pregnancy with Langston because I was so scared. When you are pregnant after a loss, um, it is an intense experience. I, I'm trying to get pregnant again right now. Um, and that's gonna that's gonna be an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that and so so yeah, we'll we'll have to see if I crack for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're gonna do just fine. Well, did you find a medical provider though that yes. helped you and got you through yes. that? Yes, I found two midwives. They were amazing um and the only reason I didn't stay with them through Casey is I I really it is a huge goal for me to deliver outside of the hospital one day um but not at my house Mm -hmm. because I don't trust any of the hospitals should I need to get somewhere in emergency I don't feel like that are close to you yeah yeah I don't I don't feel like I have the care that I would like to have in an emergency there um so so I wanted to go to a birthing center I felt like that was a really really good um compromise Mm -hmm. and my my insurance the way that they cover pregnancy they would not cover my midwives delivering for me at the birthing center I had to switch to the to the midwives that were already employed by the birthing center Mm -hmm. um which brought some amazing people into my life throughout Casey and and my midwife with Casey said over and over again like you are going to educate some of these medical providers because people are not used to having people who take charge of their their care like you and and I, and I did. I mean, even when I was in the appointment with, with our maternal fetal medicine specialist, my initial thing was, I don't have a choice. I didn't know what the choice looked like. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, it wasn't even a conversation I was willing to have. At that point, I really didn't have a choice. I was 25 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. I, I would have had to deliver anyway. Yeah. Um, I did not know that. All I could think about was, I felt this baby move. I can't go to sleep and wake up and not be pregnant. Because I was thinking of the procedure at 24 weeks. That was for me. Mm-hmm. 100% me how I felt about it. Um, I do not think that it is fair for people who have never had to sit in a room with somebody in a white jacket telling them they have options to judge people for um, for just trying to survive something that is so unimaginable. Mm-hmm. Like sitting, actually laying 
in that, in that room, on that table, the scream that I let out, like it felt like something that an animal would have let out because, because she was telling me that my baby was probably not going to make it. And I knew long before anything was confirmed, I knew like, this is it. My, my baby is not, I'm, I'm not going to raise this baby. Um, and, and so, so we were just really trying to survive a very impossible situation. And it really, really pisses me off when people make people trying to survive impossible situations feel like they're doing something wrong. Yeah. Like you just, you just, regardless of what your impossible situation is, there are so many things that happen to people in life that are so beyond their control. You just cannot... I mean, it's almost like abusive to somebody who is just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my little soapbox. No, I appreciate you being on your soapbox. <laughs> I, women who have miscarriages get, they get all the, um, they get all the support. They get all the mm-hmm. love. They get all the like, oh, you, you know, you poor thing, or I'm so mm-hmm. sorry and all that stuff. And oftentimes women who've, who've had an abortion don't, even if, when it's for medical reasons, they don't get the mm-hmm. same support they don't mm-hmm. get the same love or or they may just be simply going through that experience in silence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know you mentioned that you you actually kind of started to write about that that difference mm-hmm. but you never ended up posting it so I didn't I did I, I kept a blog while I was pregnant with Casey and I sort of blogged off and on just throughout the last five years so I have lots of posts that have never been shared publicly because you know I just I don't want to I don't want to go so far over the line that I could jeopardize anything in my life, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like I also don't want to further traumatize people. Like mm-hmm. even this conversation right here, I'm thinking of people who could potentially be listening and and what this might bring up for them or you know, you just you just don't know what kind of trauma somebody is coming into a situation with. And so yeah. I do always feel like I want to be careful and and I actually shared a post with a friend of mine and and she was like you can never share this. Um because she she had had some experiences in her life and she really just was not prepared for what I wrote. And really all I wrote was something out of love. It was just me saying, you know what, I think it's really unfair that I'm able to mourn my loss because there was no choice and you're not able to mourn yours. Mm-hmm. And I guess a woman who's had an abortion, sure, you can mourn your your mm-hmm. loss, but I feel like there's always this idea of, well, she chose that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and again, I, I do have a problem because I, I am a Christian. I do believe in God. I do have a problem like with that overall, mm-hmm. but I just don't think that people in government should be regulating and, and I, I just think that there are ways that we as, as human beings can relate to one another as human beings that we don't have to meet people with shame. And I also right. think too, right. like, okay, so if they're like, if, if we're going to say we're pro-life, okay, people are going to do that. Um, what are you giving up to be pro-life? Like, are you voting for legislation that is going to allow people who need to seek asylum to continue to do so? Mm -hmm. Are you voting 
for does that make sense mm-hmm. like like there there's a whole lot pro you can't life, just pro life better be consistent yes that's the thing yes so if you're pro life i mean if you're pro life um are you supportive of the death penalty mm-hmm. yeah federal but federal death penalty just got reinstated so I don't, I don't know. No, and I'm not saying one way or the other where I stand on any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, th- I think that I think that there are a lot of um, hypocrisies, really, kind of on both sides. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that, I think that whether we're talking about abortion or death penalty or immigration or like there, just across the board, right now we have so many hypocrisies on both sides that it's like, like, I don't even think that I can identify with. It's gotten very messy. It is. It is messy. That is a good word for it. It's messy. Yeah. It's unfortunate. We, I feel like we have allowed both parties. Mm -hmm. We need to stop thinking them as parties and we need to start thinking of them as they're there to make money. Mm -hmm. They're there to drive money. They're there to influence. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're not there to support us. They're not there to be for us. It's mm-hmm. simply there to drive us into categories and pull us apart, and for them to make money off of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that money comes from corporations that support their party and the lobbyists and all that stuff. Both sides have that, mm-hmm. and I really wish that people would wake up and realize that if we all kind of banded together and realize that they're all shit, we can get in the middle mm-hmm. and work together. Mm-hmm. And do a lot of really incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. But still have differences of opinion on things. Yeah. It's not like yeah. everybody in the middle like thinks the same way. We just kind of think a little bit more like, or we take that humanistic approach, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know what you've been through in life. Right. So I can't tell you how to then live that life. Right. But I can make sure that you and your kids have a good education and good health care and whatnot so that we all have a good level playing field to start with Mm -hmm. and then we can go from there and we can all work towards making our society better yeah i yes 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 (laughs) (laughs) uh luckily had a friend over the last couple of years that kind of pulled me a little bit more towards the libertarian ideals of realizing that it's both both sides are crap that's kind of where i'm falling too like i feel like i'm yeah i just because it's it's the like i I do my thing, you do yours. And as long as we are not harming one another, mm-hmm. everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's yes. not a gay person in the world who's out there trying to convert little teenagers into being gay kids. But they are trying to help that kid who is gay and is hiding themselves mm-hmm. to help them understand that you're going to make it. It's all yeah. going to be okay. One day you'll be out of that little town. You'll be away from those close-minded people. And you can find love and happiness sometime in and your lifetime. What if, what if, what if you didn't have to leave a little town because it wasn't filled with closed-minded people? That too. Like, what if people could just look at somebody and say, like, I see you as this human. Like, I, I saw a meme once and it kind of pissed me off. Like, I understood where it came from. Totally get it. Like, I understand what the person's trying to say. But... By what they what they achieved, I felt was taking away part of what makes us human, and part of our humanity is our relationships with other people. It is how we 
relate and love and, and connect, right? And so I saw this meme and it was like, she is, and it said someone's sister, mother, friend, niece, like everything that a woman could be to somebody else, right? Daughter. And they were all marked out. And then, and then it just said someone. She is someone. And I was like, but part of what makes her someone is that she is someone's granddaughter and daughter and mother and sister and friend. Like, those are part of what make us human. And I understand what you're trying to accomplish with that. But don't negate that all of those pieces. So, like, if we could just look, like, if I could look at somebody who is so opposite on ideals as me and say, I really don't agree with you, but... I know that there are lots of people who love you and, and because you are so loved, you have got to be a good person and I'm loved and I'm a good person. So let's just be loving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like that's, I like that. I like yeah. that mindset. Well, you know, <clears throat> I'm just going to say it. People who really do call themselves Christian have to remember that that is like the most important thing that we are supposed to do. Yeah. Like you can't, is love one another. Yes. Yeah. Like, like there's, I love the memes where it's like Jesus and he's saying, you know, love one another. And everybody's like, but what if he's this? And what if he's that? And what if they're this? And, and he's like, did I stutter? Yeah. Like, it's so clear, man. You just, you just got to meet people with, and, and you don't even have to meet be, them where they are. Yes. Yes. And that's like, that's like whoever your higher power is, if you have one. And if you don't have a higher power, maybe you believe in karma. And if you believe in karma, what's the principle of karma? Be good or you're going to get screwed. Yes. Like, just... <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And that's that's really what I'm trying to do is just meet people where they are. You know, yeah. talking about relationships and sexuality, it's not always the easiest topic, especially when I'm out and about and I'm, I'm networking or, you know, I'm, I'm taking on this new client and it's just... I get that there's a lot of weird perceptions out there about mm-hmm. what I do, and I get some strange looks and some strange, you know, things, or people are off put by what I do, and I just kind of meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's just starting off by asking questions. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of uh, strange energy I've got to combat out there sometimes. I'm sure. When I say I'm a sex coach. Yeah, which I actually think that that would be a super fascinating career. Like it's a lot of fun. I. I would think that it would be a lot of fun. Um, I don't... I'm kind of... Um, I don't I don't know... I don't know that I have, like, the makeup for it because I think I would get too embarrassed. Like, I would be in, like, a coaching session with somebody and they would say stuff and I would constantly be turning beet red and I would be, like, giggling, like, because deep down I'm a 12-year-old boy who laughs at boobs you know, yep. so. <laughs> so I don't know if you've read any of my early blogs from when I started this business, but I did do something to help me with that. Cause yeah, I mean, I laugh constantly like dick and fart jokes. Um, I was a phone sex operator for a summer to kind of I feel like I desensitize that. myself yes. to it. And it worked. <laughs> Let me tell you, it worked. I wouldn't necessarily encourage everybody to go out and do that to, uh, you know, broaden their horizons about human sexuality, but holy shit. Yeah. There are some times where clients say something to me and I'm just like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to take note there. All right. Got it. And in my head, I'm even going like three years ago, you would have like burst out loud, out loud laughing at that. Uh-huh. And not because I think it's like 
weird or anything like that. I'm just like, huh, cool, you want to do that? I would have laughed at them rather than, like, keep my poker face. Yeah, which I don't have. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people say, oh, my God, what are you thinking? Your face is saying something really bad right now. And I'm like, huh? Huh? Like, I can't, like... (laughs) What what are you talking about? There's nothing. Like, Like, I... I couldn't, I could not do that for that reason because somebody would say something really out there for me and it's not hard to be out there for me. Um, and I would just be like, huh? I mean, I will say I still struggle sometimes when clients say something either, um, like misogynistic or things like that, or just really not even sexually outlandish but more like socially outlandish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's when my face judgment kind of comes in but you know tell me you want to get pegged and I'm fine tell me you want to do an orgy I'm fine I tell don't me know what that means. pegging yeah. <laughs> you'll have to tell me later <laughs> yeah, Your face sure is, yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is the, oh. yeah uh, no I can never do your job but yeah. no, I'm mature enough for that uh-uh. Uh-uh. I, plus, you have to do a lot of research. You have to watch a lot of things. You have to read a lot of things. And you have to... I, I do a lot of Googling. There are still times I have to do a lot of Googling or Urban Dictionary. Someone says something like, mm-hmm, go and look that up real quick. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I'm like... I'm, I'm not... I, I, I think it would be very fascinating and a lot of fun. But I... I think I would get old really fast because I would be laughing all the time. So like the lines <laughs> on my face, why I've like, got these face lines. Yes, <laughs> I would be like, okay, give me all the Botox because, but maybe that would help my poker face because yeah. it wouldn't move. <laughs> there you go. Start a whole new career. Freeze Free my public face. schools. You're oh gonna make gosh. a million in the poker arena. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I have found lately that I get into these like wonderful, brilliant conversations, and then I talk very little about <laughs> sex. So it's not like I'm going to ask you about your uh, sex life, but you did mention that you're trying to get pregnant. Uh huh. So, if there's anything that I, as a sex coach, can help you with, with trying <laughs> out some new things, having some fun while you're, you know, embarking on that that journey, just to spice things up, you know how to reach me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh... I think that um, I'm not quite ready for that. <laughs> okay. Hey, you guys have been together this long. You're obviously doing something right. So yeah, we'll keep going. Just have fun. The one thing people have always said about like trying to get pregnant is either plan a vacation mm-hmm. or start trying something new. Mm-hmm. And people keep saying like, THC. I swear to God, I had this conversation like with four different people. What is THC? Marijuana. Cannabis. Oh. Whether it's cannabis lube. There's cannabis lube out there. Okay. Or it's... Seriously, I, four different people have brought this up to me in the last two weeks. Just unsolicited. I'm like, wow, can you hear this? No, you're the, you're the fourth person who's brought this up to me. That friends and family, even doctors, have told them, like the woman specifically, like, just smoke a little weed. Just relax. Maybe because it's relaxing? That's the whole thing. I think I'll yes. just plan a vacation. Plan a vacation. <laughs> I think yes. I'll plan a vacation. Because <laughs> the trying new stuff, that can be a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety with, uh-huh. with that. But hey, uh-huh. plan a vacation when you're in someplace new. 
I think that vacation is the best way to rejuvenate your sex yeah. life. I actually did get pregnant with Langston on vacation. Boom, there you go. It did, that did, that was, that did happen. Um, but see, I wasn't trying when I got pregnant with Casey. Mm. It just sort of, like, and, and I wasn't happy mm. about it when I found out because I wasn't ready to be pregnant yet, so... So yeah, but um, no, I think I think we are planning a vacation in October. Perfect. There you go. So, so I'll look forward to your post in mm, early next year, saying that you're you're expecting it. Yet. Yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll see. No pressure. We'll see. No pressure. Yeah, I don't know. Like I kind of have this thought of maybe when I have a baby, like I'll just post, "Hey, I had a baby, and he or she's healthy," because that's a whole other conversation too about the. Gosh, I mean, when I had my miscarriage, I had people, well, why did you already tell people? You were only six weeks along. Because I was excited. Yes, of course. It was my first pregnancy that, that I knew so, of. That makes me so disappointed. Yeah. Or people saying, like, well, next time you should probably wait longer. You should probably wait in, until you're at least out of your first trimester. Especially now that you've lost one, you're more likely to lose mm-hmm. one again. So, yeah, you should wait to tell yeah. people. I had somebody say something similar. Like, this is why I know people who don't tell people for six months. Well, guess what? Even if I would have waited until six months, it would have made no difference with Casey. So, like... I don't believe in holding back sharing your joy in life. I really don't. And I was so excited at that point. Yeah. I was scared, but I was excited because I don't know. Did you have a feeling? I did. Did you sort of have a feeling? Yeah. I did have a feeling from the early... I mean... I wrote about my miscarriage experience on one of my blogs where I... So, like, the day of, I was not excited. Like, the day I found out, I was... I was, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. But then I, I got to a place of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a place where I was kind of excited. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing it with, with like, my family and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was I was happy to call my nana and mm-hmm. my grandma and my grandpa mm-hmm. and some of my aunts and things like that. Mm-hmm. The, the ladies in my life especially. And... Oh, especially my Nana. For some reason, I remembered that call specifically. Because mm-hmm. there were very few times in my life that I would be able to share something with my Nana that she was, like, super stoked about or yeah. really happy. But that was yeah. one of them. Yeah. And so, like, to hear that that I did something or I said something that, like, really got that reaction out of her. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that sticks out in my mind so mm-hmm. much. I don't remember what my grandma said. But, man, I remember what my Nana said. My Nana and I were not close because yeah. of how she treated me. She treated a lot of us, really, but... Yeah. Well, um, that's probably why, like, that sense of approval and that joy sticks mm-hmm. out so much, you know? Because it was such a such a big deal, yeah. Yeah, I think that... I think a lot of times we sort of know. I, when I when I pulled into the... To the, to the parking lot at the hospital, um, the day that I found out that the baby had died um, with my miscarriage in 2015... Uh, I remember it was a spring day, the tulips were in full bloom, and as I pulled in, I said out loud to myself, Emily, when they tell you that you are not having a baby, you have to force yourself to remember how beautiful these tulips were. Like, I just knew. And then I thought, oh my gosh, that's so weird, you're totally having a baby. Like, how? why did you just say that out loud to yourself? Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, so I think that... Yeah, because the day that I started, like, having spotting and cramping... I went to work, mm-hmm. and one of my employees was pregnant, mm-hmm. and she was like, I told her, because I, I, she also saw me kind of like do one of these numbers bending over, you know, from the cramping, and she was like, what was that? 
was like, I'm having some pain and some spotting today. She was like, you need to go to the doctor. And I just burst into tears. I was like, I don't want the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't want the answer. She's like, I know you don't, but you got to go to the doctor. You can't, you cannot. She was like on her fourth kid. So she's mm-hmm. like, you can't not go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah that's when I called, called the ex and said, you know, got to go in. And then, yeah, there was no heartbeat. But yeah, I didn't want, I mean, I knew in the days leading up, we had two sonograms already. Because we had one the day that I woke up in pain and figured out I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And even that day, I was like, no, there's something just off. Because they were telling me I had a cyst on my right ovary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here's, you're, you know, you're pregnant, all that. About They figured like three or four weeks at that point. Um, but yeah, I just, even when we saw the heartbeat, the next one, which is actually on September 11th, I just still was like, okay, it's here, but just, mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, yeah. Just I just knew something was off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just know. Yeah, I think so. And that's not to discredit the women who were, you know, surprised. Just, and I'm not saying they're not in, ch- in check with their bodies or not in mm-hmm. check with their intuition. It's just, yeah. Sometimes we are. It's an unfortunate blessing mm-hmm. to just have mm-hmm. that keen sense of things. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes I think I think we all sort of have it, but some of us are able to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And and I I think that that's probably what's happened there. It's like the same way you didn't want the answers. Like those women, other women who who don't don't listen to that voice, they don't want the answers either mm-hmm. and they don't they don't want the worry. So it will be it will be interesting if I do get pregnant again. Um how I how I navigate that. Because uh, it's been, it's been a, being pregnant has not been the most positive experience for me mm-hmm. overall. I mean, I have beautiful little two-year-old um, and some really incredible memories of, of my little Casey, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Well, I do wish you all the best. Thank you. And have fun while you're trying. <laughs> I intend to. <laughs> Again, you know who to call if things get a little boring or you want to try something different. But go on your vacation. Have some fun. <laughs> We're going to Colorado, actually. Perfect. But I'm not going to. <laughs> well, I did do a TV appearance on Better... Was it Better Kansas City? It was Better Kansas City talking about how to use vacation to rejuvenate your intimacy. Nice. So if you can just go watch my TV clip and see what some of my tips up. are there. Be like, hey, Matt, watch this. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can find me on pretty much any social media platform, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. But visit my website if you're wanting more information about my coaching services. You can even sign up for my email newsletter. I've got one that's not so safe for work called The Dirty Bird. A lot more adult content on that one. You can support this podcast through listener support on Anchor FM. Or you can go to patreon.com and become one of my patrons. Just look for Open the Doors KC. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Thanks for listening.